Uh, Torah teens, so happens that it's the 13th day of Tammuz. It's the month of, uh, it's the Shabbos, uh, we read the portion of Balak, it's the Parsha. Usually we cover Balak, we'll try to cover a little bit of the portion of Balak, of this week's Parsha, and also a little bit about the 13th day of Tammuz. But of course, you know, the obvious question that, uh, right, the name, who, who was Balak? Uh, you know, by, um, the Midrash says that Balak was actually um, the greatest Jew hater that, that existed. He, you see, um, even though in the Pasuk, in the verse, it says, uh, Balak ben Tzipor saw uh, what the Jewish people did to the Sichon and Og, who was the king of the Mori, were how they decimated them. So it says that they were afraid and they sent for Bilam to curse the Jewish people um, and um, that's what the verse gives you the reasoning. But the truth is um, we read later on in the Parsha that uh, in the Devarim we read that Hashem strictly instructed uh, the Jewish people not to start off with Moyov. The Jewish people were prohibited. Remember, Moab also has a little bit of a relationship from the past because it's the daughters of Lot to come from Avram. So that's what Hashem already warned. Thank you. Hashem warned them not to uh, take on Moab. So the truth of the matter is, Moab had no reason to try to fight or curse or do bad for the Jewish people because the Jewish people weren't going to do anything to him. And he just used that as, a, as an excuse. But in essence, he just had a hatred for the Jewish people. And uh, that's why he did what he did. So we see that uh, Balak was no uh, lover of the Jews. Now, Balak hired Bilam. Which one of them is a greater hater? I mean, that's a little bit questionable because in Rashi it actually says that uh, the language used by Bilam was more severe against the Jews than even what Balak asked him to. But the Medrash says that Balak was the greatest soyna in Tarkhuma. He says that Balak was the greatest soyna for, for the Jewish people. And um, so one wonders, um, why would we name a portion in the Torah? Why do we, why do we wanna, how do we, why do we wanna commemorate? We say Balak, everybody's talking about Balak. I mean, why would we wanna name a Torah on such a Russia, such a evil person, you know, I mean, the, uh, it's like saying you get a uh, you know I don't want to even mention his name Yemachshimo say Hitler Yemachshimo or say somebody. Matter of fact, uh, and as you see, whenever we mention a big Russia's name, a Russia's name, we always add Yemachshimo. May his name be erased. That means that means we don't we don't really want to mention his name. Yemach means erase. Erase, yeah. Shimo. That's what usually we, we that's the way when we say a. Uh, a person who wanted to do bad for the Jewish people. That's what we say. Uh, 
So, and here we're calling a whole parsha. But it, it is actually a halachic question. Um, the Gemara says the ruling is also an halacha is, like you're not allowed to name, you know, your child. You give birth to a child. Uh, you're not allowed to name your name, your child, after the name of a Russia. Somebody who is evil, an evil person. You shouldn't name your child after them. Why? Because it says, Shem Rishoyim Yerkov. Let the name of the evil rot. We don't want to we don't mention their names. So there is a halachic issue of mentioning names of bad people or rishoyim or people who did evil. And in this case, we're not just mentioning him. Uh, even if you name a child, that's an individual. But here we're naming a whole parsha, and all Jewish people of all the centuries are we're always talking about Balak, Balak, Balak. Why would why would, we, why would we do that? Even if you can find reasons that maybe it doesn't really 100% apply, because there's commentators that say that once the name is used in the Torah, so it already loses its, uh, its, its, its strength. You know, it's different when it's the Torah, writing the Torah, but there's a whole discussion about that. The Rebbe discusses about it. But the bottom line is, couldn't we find a like a better name? Now you know the uh, uh, most of the time the parsha begins with the first words of the the parsha. But in this place, this week's parsha, the words begin with Vayar Bolok. Why couldn't we have a parsha called Vayar? We have a parsha called Vayera, so we could call this Vayar. It seems like Bolok. Yes, it's in the beginning. But it has significance. The Torah chooses the word Balak over here as the name of the parsha. The question is, why would the uh, why would the Torah do that? Let's go transfer for a moment. Let's talk. We'll get back to this. Talk about Yud Beis Tammuz. So basically, the story is: this is the today is the thirteenth day of Tammuz. The celebration, or what we call the Chag Hagulah the festival of the redemption, that's the redemption of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, we celebrate two days, the 12th and the 13th. In brief, what was the reason that we have two days and what exactly, what happened? So, the previous Rebbe was arrested uh, in, in Leningrad uh, and uh, the previous Rebbe uh, did under those uh, circumstances, he the, the the communist regime and especially uh, the Jewish section within the communist regime, they were very very anti-religious. They just hated religion. They hated religious people, and they did everything that they could to try to stop them. And they had wielded a lot of power within the government within the. Uh, uh, communist government and they took it upon themselves to make the lives of the Hasidim or the people that were trying to keep Yiddishkeit to make their lives miserable that's what they did so what did the Rebbe do? the Rebbe used to see to it that there were communities because a lot of the communities you know the rabbis stopped functioning there the Teachers closed up the schools, the shuls, yeshivas, the, the, the mikveh, everything was closed up. 
And the Rebbe organized this whole network, no different than we have today on a bigger scale, but we over there, within the confines of Russia, uh, the Rebbe would send to all, there was a lot, a lot of Jews in all different communities, he would send shoichetim, people to slaughter for them, they have kosher meat, he would send people to teach, he would send uh, people to especially teach the young children to make a Shabbat he did all these kind of work, and that's why the government and the Yavsekzia, that Jewish party actually in the government, they were totally trying to stop the Rebbe, and they did all kinds of things to stop the Rebbe. Uh, and they uh, arrested the Rebbe, but when it came on uh, Rosh Chodesh, they arrested the Rebbe, was the 15th day of Sivan, and he went through a lot, a lot in these, not so it's a long time, but in those 15 days that he spent there, he went through in the prison. There's a whole lot of stories told us about, tell about that, what happened over there, and how they tried to frighten him, and how they tried to uh, uh, force him to sign papers to, as if he did a crime, and, uh, and he totally ignored them. He was like strong, didn't sort of give in to them at all. Uh, there's a f- famous story that uh, he refused to cooperate with one of the investigators over there who was questioning him, and uh, and the Rebbe, uh, and he threatened basically the Rebbe with a gun that was lying on top of the uh, table. He said, well, he said, this toy, and referring to his gun, has opened the mouth of many mute people. He was threatening the Rebbe with his gun. And the Rebbe answered him, this is very famous answer, that a gun can frighten people who have only one world and more than one God. But a person who has only one God and two worlds, he says, I'm not afraid of your, not afraid of the gun. So anyways, uh, the, um, some of the people, I'm going to get back to what happened to Beijing Gimel Thomas, but some of the people that arrested the Rebbe were actually descendants from Hasidim. They were, one of the guys named over there is written down, and some Sikhs, I saw the Rebbe doesn't even want to mention his name. He just puts the letter Lamed, Lamed Lamed. But we know, in the previous Rebbe's writing, he came, his name was Lulov, like the Lulov, we shake. His name was Lulov. And he, his grandparents were Hasidim of, Lubavitcher Hasidim from, you know, way back. He was one of the people that came there to arrest the Rebbe. When they went arrested the Rebbe, he was one of the people that came there. And um, and they, they, they turned over the house, they made the search, you know, they, 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 they frightened the Rebbe, they tried, and the whole commotion, the story is written up. But at one point, when finally they said, Rebbe, we've got to, we have to go, so they were escorting the Rebbe to the carriage that was waiting outside, this Lulov pipes up, and he spoke Yiddish also, he knew Yiddish. So this Lulov pipes up, and he says, oh, he says, Rebbe, no, he says, this is, let me carry uh, your bags. He says, just like my grandfather carried the bags for your grandfather, so now let me carry your bags. So he was sort of saying, oh, you don't have to carry it yourself, I carry it for you. And the Rebbe said, no, no. 
He said that your grandfather carried the bags of my grandfather, says the Rebbe to him, to the place where my grandfather wanted to go. But you want to carry my bags to the place where you want me to go, where you want to go, where you want to take me. So he says, no, no, no thanks, don't take me. On Rosh Chodesh uh, Tammuz, that was after 15 days in incarceration, uh, they finally were trying to give, get a message to the Rebbe. And when they gave a message to the Rebbe, the way they wanted to show that they are in charge and that they are in control, so the way they would do it is, whenever there was a message from the uh, office, the uh, the prisoner had to stand up, sort of. That would show respect for what's going to be said. And so they come in and says to the Rebbe, the Rebbe was davening, he's davening late, long in the, the, the uh, prison over there. He says the only way he knew the time was is by when they served. There was no light or anything, they couldn't tell the time, so they only knew by the time they served. He knew what time it was. But, so they came in, and they told him to stand up, and he said, no, he's not going to stand up. He said up. And the Rebbe would answer them in Yiddish. They say the Russian. So then they said to the Rebbe that then we'll, we'll beat you. And the Rebbe said, no. And they actually went and they beat the Rebbe. Then they left, and a few minutes later, there was a, another group came in. And this time, this Lulov, this, well, he was there as well. Uh, and then... Um, and this time, uh, again, uh, the, the, he says to the, he addresses uh, the Rebbe, he says, he says, Rebbe, why are you starting up with them? Why are you disobeying? Why are you making such a big to-do? They're coming to tell you some good news, they're telling you. They're, not, they're coming to tell you something good. Uh, and, but the Rebbe says, no, he's not, he's not going to get up. So, okay, so, so he says, they'll beat you. So he said, no, and they beat him again. And then a third time it happened, the same thing. It was a Jewish guy, his name was Kavalov, I think is the name over there. He gave, he gave him uh, such a punch or a beating that his chin, under his chin, that he, the Rebbe writes, it, it caused him pain for many, uh, for many years later on. Anyways, eventually they sent the Rebbe to come to the office. That they, have a, they came to the office and they said that it was decided that the, the punishment will be that he has to go for three years into exile, into the city of Kastrama. He has to leave Leningrad, he has to leave the place, and he has to go to Kastrama. And the Rebbe writes that he saw over there the original, it says, shoot, uh, death by shooting. So that was it. And then that was crossed out. The second line, it says 10 years of exile. And next to that, there was the word nyet, which means no. And finally, the verdict was three years in Kastrama. So they told the Rebbe, how do you want to travel to Kastrama? And the Rebbe said he wants to go with the train, I guess the important train, which, which the business people will. So they said, how are you going to pay for it? So the Rebbe said, if there isn't enough money in, uh, in the money that they've taken away from him when they arrested him, if there isn't sufficient money for the trip, 
then his family will pay for the uh, for the expenses for the trip. So we said, okay. He said, we're going to give you six hours to be home. This was Thursday. You have six hours to be home. The train leaves Thursday night, and you have to go on the train to Kastrova. So the Rebbe inquired, uh, when is the train going to arrive in Kastrova? So he it's going to arrive in Shabbos. So the Rebbe says, Shabbos, I'm not traveling. I'm not going. I'm not going. So here was a dilemma. They weren't going to let him stay more than six hours at home to take a later train. Okay, and the Rebbe said he doesn't want to go. So they agreed to keep the Rebbe in prison for three more days. He stayed there for Friday, Shabbos, until Sunday. And the Rebbe describes also that was a tremendous uh, self-sacrifice to uh, stay in their prison there for another three days. But eventually, uh, the Rebbe made his way to Kastrama. In all this time, there was a lot of effort going on uh, to try to free the Rebbe from various different, from outside, from the countries, from different places. So finally, on Yud Beis Tammuz, the 12th day of Tammuz, uh, the Rebbe was notified that he's free, uh, he's free to go home, that the uh, verdict has been changed, and he no longer has to stay in Kastrama. Uh, so that represented his redemption. However, it was some sort of a legal holiday, and he needed to have the official papers. So they had to wait for our next day, which would be the 13th day of Tammuz. So that's why we have Yud Beis, Yud Gimel, these two days. So today's Yud Gimel, the 13th day of Tammuz, is the day that the Rebbe went out free. But what is the... Uh, the amazing things that Rabbi points out is that the local level, where is the level basically, it seems like where they arrested the Rebbe was at the local level. That was the local authorities over there. They were pursuing the Rebbe and they were hounding him and they were trying to get uh, the Rebbe into jail and everything. But the uh, order came um, from higher ups that came from central government, you know, again the, 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 and they forced basically the hands, they twisted the arms of these lower, these, these uh, officers and the uh, local government that they have to free the Rebbe they have to let him go against their wishes, they didn't want to let go and what happened after that the Rebbe came home uh, so this was already, by the time he came home, it was the 15th day of Tammuz. And it was uh, quite uh, clear, obvious, that while he was out of prison, uh, they were after him. It wasn't going to take long. And there was really no choice and no point in remaining back in Russia. They couldn't really functioned there anymore, there was no no reason, and they were able to with uh, thanks Hashem, they were able to uh, go out of Russia, now so because they got permission, yeah, that was part of the efforts to get permission but the only thing, that's what we also had some of the books weren't let out, and some of the he said he's not going without his books uh, 
most of the book. That's where he did get his chunk of the library came with him. But um, one of the people that they when they had to go out, they had to say all the relationship. They only let the relatives go out. So then the Rebbe had you know three daughters at the time. You know he had three daughters, and so they went. So the oldest one was married. The second one was single. I mean, the second one was the second or third one were single at the time. But the Rebbe said, who is this guy? I mean, who is the Rebbe? The Rebbe also went along with them. He says, this is the Chosn. This is the Chosn. The Chosn for his daughter, for Chaya Mushka. That's the Chosn. So they said, a Chosn? What do you have to bring a Chosn from, from Russia? Go find a Chosn in, uh, over there outside of Russia. What do you need to bring? So the Friedrich Rebbe said, a chosen like this I won't find anywhere. <laughs> he, said, he said about the Rebbe. He said, such a chosen is not going to be a Rebbe. So when you really think about it, the redemption of the previous Rebbe is, is really our redemption too. Our Rebbe was free together with that. They left the Soviet Union. It's unconceivable if they would have remained there. The previous Rebbe writes in the letter as soon as he was, when he was freed, it says it wasn't a personal miracle, a personal freedom for him that he is no longer in jail because he says the reason uh, they uh, put him into jail in the first place uh, was not for personal matters. It was all because of Yiddishkeit. It was because he was trying to doing his best and succeeded. The fact that we have such a renaissance right now with all the shaluchim, with all the communities, and the fact that there's Russian Jewry, that's thanks to the endless self-sacrifice of the previous Rebbe over there and uh, with all those that helped him. And, you know, and, and the Rebbe was also involved in the sidelines over there in the background. And the Rebbe had a big part in, 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 in getting the government and getting, helping the Rebbe get, get free. But um, so it's the Rebbe. So the Rebbe writes, therefore... It's not a personal thing. It's Klal Yisrael. It's all Jewish people. We were all freed. This is a holiday for all of us because it was a holiday against Yiddishkeit. And Baruch Hashem that, you know, that we, uh, that we uh, were freed. So we have to imagine. For us, for Hasidim especially, I mean, God forbid it, that didn't happen. You know, Russia was always a, like a big prison. Nobody can get out of there. I mean, this was a... Uh, like a miracle, even you know, even if you wanted to get out, you couldn't get out of there. But uh, but the, the fact that the Rebbe was able to get out, now, and then of course, the Rebbe uh, speaks in the Sikha, The Rebbe says that the previous Rebbe basically was uh, leader after the passing of his father for thirty years, and the Rebbe says ten, ten, and ten for ten years, he was in communist Russia over there, and. There, the challenges were uh, very, very literal, very, very strong. I mean, they were, those were like physically, you know, every moment you could be arrested. And uh, the Rebbe makes another very important point that uh, the previous Rebbe's, and the Rebbe explains it in various different ways, how he was totally uh, dedicated to Hashem in a, such a way that he never made any considerations, he never had any 
never uh, looked into, never uh, just totally said that he has to do what he has to do. Rebbe uh, says that, you know, sometimes, you know, you can uh, even wonder why, I mean, you mentioned, why would he, why would he not travel, why would he stay in prison more? Rebbe says that even, you know, the issues of traveling on Shabbos, you know, is not really halachically, you can find. The Rebbe brings out a lot of different ideas. He says, some, sometimes, you know, um, Rebbe says, sometimes people are looking for guidance, whether they are supposed to be dedicated in a case like that or not. So let's say you want to know. We know, for example, that there's only three mitzvahs that a person must give up his life. Three mitzvahs. Normally, not allowed to give up your life. It's actually an avera to give up your life. So you can only, for three mitzvahs, you can give up your life, which is killing somebody else, you know, murder. So instead of killing somebody else, if somebody says, either you murder somebody else or else you'll get killed, you're not allowed to kill the other person. You have to allow yourself to get murdered, but don't do. That doesn't know right. Uh, idol worship also is one of those. And also in prohibited relationships would also be one of the cases where somebody would be forced to, uh, then they'd have to give up their lives. But those are exceptions. But it doesn't apply. But the previous Rebbe, you know, he was ready uh, to give up his life in, in, in all kinds of circumstances. I mean, why? And the question is, is he even allowed to do so? You know, I mean, forget about whether you're obligated. See, some people go to the Shulchan Aruch when it comes to a situation, and they open up the Shulchan Aruch, and they say, oh, what am I supposed to do here? Am I supposed to give up my life in this case or not? What is the... But the Rebbe said the, the previous Rebbe had another approach. I mean, he was... He was totally going to... Uh, the government was trying to suppress, to, to show dominance. They wanted to control. They wanted to uproot all the Yiddishkeit with the... putting themselves higher, putting themselves showing that they can dominate. To the Rebbe, that was the most important thing, is to show them that the Jewish way of life, the Jewish religion, a matter of fact, in any matter, he said, it's Hashem is in charge. Nobody else is going to, nobody else is going to be in charge. A matter of fact, uh, the Rebbe says that uh, one of the um, people um, uh, said, "Okay, we'll teach you a lesson." And the Rebbe answered about, we'll see who will teach whom a lesson. And what do we see at the end? I'm going to bring in the whole story. At the end, yeah, the Rebbe suffered, and he was threatened. He almost lost his life, so to speak. But at the end of the day, those people that investigated the Rebbe, they were eventually judged by the government. They were sent away. They were all killed and everything else. And what happened to the Rebbe and Chabad and the previous Rebbe? What happened? You see, at the end of the day, notwithstanding all of their, of the persecution, I think this is what, what happened over here. So, sure. So you said earlier that you're supposed to give up your life in order not to murder someone else. So yes. This, how does that relate to, like, armies? Like, if you, you, so the, you're not supposed to have an army, you're not supposed to protect yourself? 
Well, that, that's not the case. Okay, so to make clear, that's not the case that I was talking about. Um, an army, when it's we're talking about, provided that it's a permissible army. I mean, you have sometimes armies that do atrocities, which they're wrong. You're not allowed to participate, such as the excuse that a lot of the German soldiers said they were just following orders. But if you're ordered, even in that case, if you're ordered to murder innocent people and uh, to do uh, you know terrible uh, things, that's there's no excuse. Then over there would apply the rule. You can't say to them, well, I was just following orders and otherwise I would be punished. So that's it. It's an exception to be able to fight in a war. But if it's a legitimate war, is, is you know, I mean, is it, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I remember, you know, we were, you know, youngsters, so we were all fired up, you know, to us, you know, the Palestinians that are shooting rockets and, uh, or at that point, I remember the Lebanese army, they were, you know, the Hamas was there, was uh, uh, doing the, the Hezbollah, not to me, uh, the, the Hezbollah was over there. So I'm not sure you're not mentioning their name, Yimachshimon, but we're talking about not mentioning their names. But uh, and the Rebbe was, uh, and actually, um, so the Rebbe was at that time talking about. He says uh, the Rebbe was advocating a blitzkrieg, uh, quick. Uh, the Rebbe was advocating for Israel to go fast. You know, go take over and do. Don't. If it means killing people. No. Just the opposite. I want to say so. The Rebbe said, because the longer you wait, you know, the war of attrition and the war that so many more people get killed when you don't do it quickly, rather than when you just go quickly. Just, but what I'm saying is, the Rebbe says, the lives of the enemy also matter. We can't. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. Just the opposite. What the Rebbe was trying to point out over there, the Rebbe said that would save lives on both sides. But so you can't just kill people. You're not allowed to kill people like that. But the rule is, somebody who's coming to kill you, you go first and kill them before they can kill you. The unfortunate situation we're in, now notwithstanding some of the thinking, people don't realize that we're in a different part of the world. Between We're surrounded by so many millions of Arabs that want to annihilate us. There's no reason that you, know, you can't sit back here and give us advice, you know, the, all these movements, the divest from Israel, you know, they're sitting, they don't realize, they think, you know, they're sitting in a convenience of their homes and their, and their places, their security, and they're giving advice to, to people who are fighting for their lives, you know, we're surrounded, if you just, doesn't take much, just re-hear and listen to the threats, this Nasrallah, and the, all the, they're threatening the Iran, they're threatening to wipe Israel off, he says, we know exactly where Israel keeps their stuff, and we're going to shoot a missile, and we're going to, you know, so if we don't kill them, or we don't defend ourselves, we're going to get killed, we're going to be, you know, they are going to, God forbid, so we have an obligation to yeah. defend ourselves, to protect ourselves, so if you have to kill them first, yes, then it's a mitzvah, then it's a mitzvah to kill them, but you can't just kill arbitrarily, you know, no, 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 no. but what I'm trying to say, even if somebody threatens you, no, no, what I'm trying to say, yeah. But even if somebody threatens you, and what I'm saying, if somebody threatens you, what I was saying before, and he says, well, if you're not going to kill somebody, then you're going to get killed, you're still not allowed to kill.
So if they're going to kill you, so let them kill you. So you have to give up your life not to commit murder. That's what I'm saying. I don't not only okay, it's a mitzvah. Okay, so the biggest so mitzvah, that yeah. you're still defending. Yeah, yeah. Abola Horga Hashkim Somebody comes to kill you, you go first and kill him. But okay. anyway, yeah. But earlier you said it's not okay to kill someone. No, no I just said not yourself. not when you're not not when you're not protecting yourself. No, no, like when it says if you're told to kill someone. Oh. That's what you write. You said if you're told yeah. one Jew is told to kill another Jew. Then you're not allowed to do that's it. That's what he's saying you're not allowed to do. If one Jew is told to kill another Jew, and that happened. You had that in Mitzrayim. But I, I, I understand. No, I understand yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. But, but you, you, you can kill to protect yourself. Or you can kill somebody who's trying to hurt another Jew. Also, you can kill him too. In other words, if you see somebody trying to kill somebody else, you can, you can shoot the killer. The the one who's trying to do damage to you. You have a right to do that. You have a mitzvah to do that. In that case. Again, I'm not. Or either I'm not understanding. I'm not answering your question. I'm not sure. All right, let's quit. Let's not talk about killing. Let's just move <laughs> on. All right. Uh, let's talk about happier things. Okay, so, but in this case, you know, the, but the point that I was making is that you see the people who opposed the Rebbe and the people that hated, you know, the Rebbe, hated Yiddishkeit and everything else, at the end of the day, they were forced to release the Rebbe. They were forced to freedom. And they were punished at the end also. They were the ones that were punished. And we see that the Rebbe, with his firm stand and with his endurance, he succeeded. And he succeeded not only in big time, succeeded. In a way, when you read the Parsha of Balak, you have a very similar situation in which Balak, as we said, hated the Jews. And what did he want? He says... Go curse, curse the Jews, get rid of them by cursing them and doing bad to them. But we know at the end of the day that didn't work. Just the opposite. He hired Bilam to go ahead and do bad for the Jewish people. But what it turned out at the end, not only did Bilam not hurt the Jewish people, but actually he blessed them. Some of the blessings that we find in the Torah on the portion of Balak are some of the greatest blessings that we have in all of the Torah. Matter of fact, but not only that, where does the Torah clearly talk about some of the happenings that is going to take place when Mashiach is going to come for the future? He says, and then he tells him all the things that happen at the end of days. So he goes through, and the Rambam actually, he brings down all the verses, explains how everything applied to the Melech HaMashiach, to the King Mashiach, and everything, what we read in the Parsha. So the greatest prophecies, and the greatest blessings, and the greatest light uh, that we can expect comes in this week's Parsha. So what does it show? Uh, it shows it's a turnaround, uh, as the uh, Pesach says, you know, 
don't know if you pay attention when uh, uh, we say a special prayer for dreams when the Kohanim do their priestly blessing on the on the uh, holidays they do. So we say in the end there's several verses over there. So some of the verses talk about he says just like you turn around the uh, bullocks and billums, uh, though their their plot, their evil plot. So you're asking Hashem to turn around, you know, your bad dreams or whatever bad, turn them to good. You know, we're asking basically Hashem to turn around. So Bullock demonstrates to us the story, the Bullock and the villain, what demonstrates to us is that notwithstanding that Bullock is a, uh, uh, had attentions and his attempts were very, very negative, but yet at the end of the day, the greatest positive things came out from that. So, uh, so we have to make a distinction uh, about mentioning a name uh, and just calling somebody. So normally, like when you have a baby and you name after a parent, after a grandparent, you know, you may name after somebody, what you're trying to do is to memorialize. You're trying to keep the person alive sort of through the naming of the other next generation through the cycle of life. You're trying to bring down further. That's the normal reason. That's the usual way we take say a name. And that's actually a Russia. You don't want to do that. And sometimes one would even say, uh, even if God forbid somebody had a parent that is a Russia, you know, like, I mean, we, we don't expect that from anybody, but maybe that would apply in that case too. I don't know if, such, if, there, if there is such a thing. But the Torah choose, chooses the story of Bullock not to tell us about uh, Bullock, uh, about the evil person Bullock, what his bad uh, plot was. The Torah talks about Bullock to, t- to show us that notwithstanding what people try to do to the Jewish people, like Bullock, he won't succeed. That, 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 and not only won't he succeed, but what he's trying to do will actually be of a blessing for you. And it's basically an encouragement for us not to, uh, not to uh, sort of get despondent or not to get all fearful when sometimes we have to face uh, you know, enemies or we have to face challenges from the outside, from the inside, we shouldn't, the Torah writes us this parsh over here and says, look, Balak, we're, we're not memorializing his evilness. We're memorializing the story of Balak of the Torah. The Torah names the Balak as a story in the Torah of lessons, of a tremendous amount of courage for people to realize that from their difficult or from the enemy or from the challenges, not only will you... Uh, if you stay the course, will you persevere? Uh, which sometimes, you know, we say, you know, if you're talking about certain situations which are negative, destroy them. So it would be maybe sufficient. Bullock wanted to curse the Jews. He couldn't curse them. He stopped them in his track. He couldn't do anything. But no, the Torah says, no, what happened to Bullock is a lot of blessing came from there. So you, you, you see that it wasn't just not negative. It was a tremendous, and the biggest positive came from this. And that's so, so when we name the name of the word Bullock, we're telling you, look at the story of the Bullock, that how Bullock turns around. And when we say not to mention a name is don't memorialize an evil person, but not don't memorialize something which gives us the story of how powerful Hashem's protection 
and love for the Jewish people is that even when people try to do bad to us, eventually Hashem turns it around. And, you know, we see this, you know, with Haman, we see this in... Dabra Melech. Dabra Melech, tremendous, yeah. yeah. From, from Moab. He comes from Moab also. He comes yeah. from the... Uh, back from Rusa Moab. Why do good things have to come in these bad situations? So, I, I um, you know, I thought, as I thought also, so this also the Rebbe uh, discussed in this portion of things we don't understand. Last week we read the portion of Chukas, we don't understand. So, um, so not understanding is not really a problem. The problem is understanding. Because, you know, one of the, one of the uh, ideas that a person, even who has a, a mind, who, who understands things, recognizes that he doesn't understand everything. And a person can understand that not everything I can understand, I have to still do. When a, a soldier is in the army and the commander says, do so, oh, he says, explain to me why I have to do so. It's when you tell your, uh, your child, you know, time to lights out, go to sleep. Why? Why should I? So start to explain to them, no, I told you to do so, and uh, you do so. Sometimes we have to do things because we don't understand. So everybody realizes that we can't really understand Hashem. This is beyond our ability. There's a lot of things we can't understand because we don't know. And I like to say, I mentioned in shul last week, uh, sometimes, you know, people judge you. You know? They'll say, oh, how come you did this? How come you didn't do that? And why? Or that? And they pass judgment. But the truth of the matter is, they don't know the facts. They really don't know they don't know your situation. They don't know all the details they don't know. And they're coming to conclusions because they just see a very small part of the picture. We all jump to a conclusion because we saw something with them, we, which we believe that you should have done this or you shouldn't have done that. But guess what? If I had a chance to explain to you, then you say, oh, I didn't know that part of it. Nobody told me. Oh, you don't, you know. You know, as a rabbi, I find this a lot more often than maybe ordinary people, that sometimes I know things, and sometimes seeing people share with me things, and sometimes that I can't, I, and I'm not at liberty to tell other people, and they, or they get upset. You know, a lot of times a teacher who's teaching a classroom knows that there's a child in there who has a special needs. He has to, and the other children say, it's not fair. You know, but they don't know. Every... There may be a reason for certain things. Now, can you imagine? We're small little human beings. We don't know what, what really. We can't judge anybody. And now we're trying to judge Hashem. We're going to judge Hashem. We're going to say, Hashem, oh, how come you did this? You know, come on. Do you know all the facts, what Hashem knows? I mean, do you know all the deeds? We don't know. We can't, we can't judge. We can't. In other words, we shouldn't even be expecting to understand because how could we understand? This is beyond, we don't know all the facts, we just know a small piece of fact. The question is actually on the other hand. How could we explain certain things we try to explain all the time? The whole Torah, the whole commentary, we're always explaining things. So how could you explain? If you're saying you don't know all the facts, so you're just explaining something. Who says the facts are what you're explaining? How do you know? Who, who, how could you really know? 
And the answer to that is, as it comes out from the Rebbe Sira, that when we explain things, it's only because Hashem wants us to explain the thing. That's also, the Rebbe explains, this is a decree, the Torah tells us that we should explain things, in other words, the Torah, in other words, we're not understanding things because our mind understands them, but we're understanding things because Hashem says, you know, you should understand them. It's not because we're basing it on our understanding. It's not something that we have to agree to. So we say, okay, so why are we doing the logical mitzvah that you should not steal, you should honor your parents? Why are we doing that mitzvah? We're doing it because, oh, my intellect says so? No. We're doing it because Hashem said that we have to do so. And Hashem says, you know, you have to understand. When we learn the Chomesh, we have a class over here, we learn Torah, we learn, we understand. Does it really mean that we have the ability to grasp the endless depth and what it is in Hashem's? Well, how do we know? We can't even understand, you know, human beings, we can't understand. How can we understand Hashem? So, but we, we're supposed to try to explain. So, mostly in life, you know, hopefully we can try to make sense of things, you know. A lot of times people suffer a loss, people suffer hardships, people suffer pain, whether it's physical or emotional pain. People suffer a lot of times. And we don't know the reason for it. To us, it's a mystery. And the Torah says, well, that's a decree that I decreed, and you have no right to question. Like we say when Hashem Nosan, Hashem Lokach, God has given, God has taken. We don't know, we don't understand. Yeah, go ahead, what are you saying? Yeah, the thing about Moshe to Aaron, like his sons died. Yeah, except by he's silent. He was silent. Okay, but the point here is we don't understand always. But what we learn from the Bullock is we see that our greatest hardships, our greatest fears, our greatest worries from now we're worried about a guy who's going to curse us and he had powers and he had things that he did. And now we're worried about it. So Hashem says, listen, as long as you are with me, you're my people, which you will always be, I'll protect you. And I will make sure that at the end of the day, the previous Rebbe was saved. We have to do things in nature, of course. There was a lot of effort. But the blessing in the natural way came from Hashem. So in other words, we buy the tickets for the lottery, but Hashem helps us to buy the right tickets. So it wins. So we have to, we still have to buy the ticket. That much Hashem wants us to do. And we buy the ticket, and He gives, makes sure that we get the right one. So in life, not to worry so much about things that seem at first, you know, they're adverse, they're not comfortable, they're painful sometimes. And we have to stay strong in our in our trust in Hashem and our amuna in Hashem that He will help us out and that's why Balak is not bad you know, Balak the person was evil but Balak of the story is a beautiful story <laughs> that even a Balak gets turned around and the Rebbe says that even that Lulov guy he said Rebbe because deep in his soul he knew who the Rebbe was and he knew and he addressed the Rebbe as Rebbe because he knew that the, the Rebbe. It's a time of redemption. So time to uh, free ourselves a little bit also. Everybody has their own little exile <laughs> within themselves, you know, in which we struggle. 
So time for redemption is a time for, you know, uh, a suspicious, an auspicious time now. You'd be stamos, we have a few more hours till the day is over. Uh, and uh, then we will do that. Okay, so that is the